Our text for Monday, Thursday is taken from Second John, the whole letter. It's only 13 verses. So if you would, if you have a Bible, you can turn there now or listen as I read aloud. Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray now and ask him to teach us his word this evening. Father, we give you great thanks for protecting, conserving, handing down this um, letter from your apostle John to... Um, to this church, we pray that tonight that you would open our ears, that you would give us um, minds and hearts ready to receive whatever you have for us. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would be present with us and to us now in the preaching of your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I'll give you up front just a little a sketch for you, an outline, so that my hope is that you can follow along, seeing as this is Thursday, not used to following um, maybe as mercifully short a sermon as we have tonight on a Thursday night, but here you go. If you're the note-taking type, this is for you. First, we'll we'll look at some love ain't enough. Second, we'll look at how we love well. Third, we'll look at just as I have loved you. So first, some love ain't enough. Second, love well. And third, just as I have loved you. I don't know if you can use the word ain't in a title. I can almost hear all the English teachers like bristling as we do that, but that's what we're going to do. Maybe it'll help us remember. I want you to look. Notice right from the beginning, John states his message. He even says that he's living his message in his letter. He's giving voice to it, representing it publicly. Look at what he says. Those whom I love in truth. Maybe this connects with you. Think of, uh, you know who Lamb Chop is? You know Lamb Chop's song, Please Don't Start Singing It. I'm going to have to do that for those who don't know, but Lamb Chop is this character on TV when I was a kid, maybe when you were uh, young. I hope that it is off the air now. And we used to walk around the house annoying our parents to no end by singing the title song from the Lamb Chop show. Um, If you know the song I'm talking about, it's painfully annoying. We we hated it, but we still sung it just to annoy them, right? Just to get their goat. Uh, The song is actually about never ending. This is the song that never ends. 
that's the message to the song. There's nothing else. That's the whole song. This is the song that never ends. It's right there. And if you don't like the message, you're not going to like the song. If you don't like a song that never ends, you will not like this song because this is the song that never ends. And when the loop starts over at the end and you hear the, we'll go on singing it, this is a song that, it's the worst part because if you hate the message, you hate the song. So when the elder here, when the apostle John, the elder writes to this church that is some distance away, as he says in verse 12, he gets right to his message. He's not going to waste any time. This is not a loop. He's not going to repeat it over and over again. He wastes no time because right at the top, he almost states his slogan, you could call it. He says, I love you with the true love of Jesus and Jesus who we've seen in the flesh. Now look at what John asks. Here's, the, here's kind of the heart of his message. This is what he wants to communicate. Look at what he asks her. He says that we love one another. Did you catch that? That we love one another. I want to ask you, is that what you would expect him to ask? Certainly not what I would. Now maybe maybe uh, he would give a you, maybe a good Texas y'all. That y'all would love one another, right? That would be common, a you, but not a we. But no, he doesn't do that. John asks his friend, a woman who is a mother and a leader in the church, he asks her to remember the command that we love one another. He's including himself. What's his point? Here's his point. There is no you people with love, okay? There's no you people with love. To put it another way, love does not other. Love does not other. Think of John 13, the fourth gospel, John 13, and Jesus' new command, kind of the occasion for this gathering historically on Monday, Thursday. The command, even as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Jesus follows that by saying, others will love me, sorry, others will know me by your love for one another. It's going to be a proof for Jesus in a way. Does that make sense? When he says that, he's saying, just like where I'm going, you cannot go. When others don't see me, because they don't see your love for one another, it's not me, it's you, right? Jesus is saying it's not on him, this is on you. You ever whole, heard the, uh, the whole, it's not you, it's me routine? You ever heard this before? You know what I'm talking about? When a couple is breaking up and the one doing the breaking up doesn't want it to sound so bad, to, to, to hit so hard, sometimes they do the whole, it's not, it's not you, it's me. I'm the one with the issues. So if this is good for you that I'm breaking up with you, right? Here we see Jesus doing a whole reversal. Jesus speaking by his word. He's reversing the, it's not you, it's me routine. Jesus is saying that it's not me when that happens. When people don't see who you, who I am because of your failure to love, that's not me. That is you. It's you. For, for God to be manifested in our love for one another, what should be obvious to us, obvious to me, obvious to you, what should be obvious to us is that we must love one another. That's the whole thrust of the command. It's simple. It's so hard. So the first question you've got to wonder, to ask yourself is, what and where is your school of love? Is it with your coworkers, with your boss, with your employees, maybe with your spouse, with your children, with siblings, with cousins, extended family, with the people who live in the apartments around you, or maybe on the block, the street that you live on? Where are you learning to love? Who's instructing you? Where are you practicing it? I want to say that if, if any of these is your primary school of love for you, then you are missing something about Jesus' command here. Because you're missing John's message. For the Christian, the primary school of love, the first place that Jesus commands you to practice love is in his church. Jesus' love for you, his body, works itself out in his body. 
in Christ's body, loved is not other. More than anywhere else, one member of the body must not call another member other in that way. It's we. We are to love one another. Maybe one way that we see this happening or not happening today is in the way that we think about mercy. I don't know if you caught that in John's letter. He says, when he's greeting the church, he says, grace and peace to you. And then he throws mercy right in the middle. Grace and peace, but also mercy. Why does he do that? It's unusual. Why, why does he put mercy in there? I think it may be because, as this is a, this is, um, our, we are the ones looking at Second John tonight. This is God's word for us here and now today. Um, that mercy is something that's hard to understand in the context of loving one another. How is that? How is mercy hard to understand? How is it hard to practice? just want to offer this. When, when someone offends you, when someone makes it difficult for you to, do, to go about your life, to worship God, to befriend others, when they offend you, and then they realize they've done wrong and they apologize, for you to forgive them is not mercy. I think we think about that as mercy often, right? It's forgiving others. No, that's not mercy. Mercy is for someone to wrong you and for you to not understand why they've wronged you and to go over and above to forgive them, right? Out of Christ's love, to extend mercy is to do more than simply exercise equity in a relationship. It's to go above and beyond. Go above and beyond. That is what mercy is, right? That's what mercy, that's why John writes this. He's setting the bar pretty high, isn't he? Grace and peace to you and also mercy. These are the things that make up love in the church, Grace, peace, and mercy. So the problem for us, kind of coming to the end here of our first point, the problem for us is simply that we don't love. Right? We, don't, we don't love as John would say, Jesus loved and commands us to love. How do we see that? We'll look back at verse 4. John writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. But some, he's saying, are not. <laughs> some of you are loving, And some of you are not loving. That is to say, some of you are walking the truth, and some of you are walking in a lie. Just as we are commanded by the Father, he's saying, that is what we are to do. Um, As Pastor Ryan, or maybe Ada, uh, would say, they're both just so clever, you know. John's saying, you've got no Jesus love for others. (laughs) You've got no Jesus love for others. And the worst part is, of John's message and of Jesus' love, how we don't practice it, the worst part of our not practicing is it is that this isn't talking about outsiders first, right? This is talking about those within the church. Those with whom we have the most in common. Those who share the thing that is central to our lives, the gospel of Jesus Christ. John is writing, you got no Jesus love even for those. Forget the outsiders. You may feel nothing toward them. You may hate them. But what you're not doing is showing love for Christ's own body. You're not showing love where love has to begin And you can't separate the body from the person. That's why God gives us this picture of the church as Christ's body. You can't separate it because to do so is is to die, right? When the body is separated from the rest of the person. That's why death is so awful. John is saying, you must love those in the body. Because to have no love for those in the body is to have no love for Jesus. And just to clarify, John is not saying, maybe this will help us see what he is saying. John is not saying that you have no deep friendships, okay? Don't take this as John's saying, you got no friends. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you love no one, that you trust no one, that you have no confidence. He's talking about love for all those who would take Christ's name. He's talking about us loving the least of those among the body of Christ. 
Um, in 2011, uh, the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship. Probably many of you remember this. It was a big, a big day for uh, DFW Sports. They won against the Miami Heat in six games. Um, and 13-year Mavs veteran Dirk Nowitzki, I might say Nowitzki, Nowitzki, I don't know. He won series MVP, okay? It was, this was a huge victory. Fans are ecstatic. And one of the fans who was so elated over their victory was our friend's son. Uh, we'll call him Hank. He's an eight-year-old boy who lived in Dallas. And not anywhere in Dallas. He actually lived next door to Dirk, Okay. Little boy, not more than eight years old, lives next door to Dirk. And after each game that was played in town, uh, games three, four, and five are the ones that were played in Dallas, he would wait by Dirk's driveway with a homemade sign every night when he came home, just cheering him on, like, way to go, way to go. You know, you're going to do it. You're going to win the finals. That was Hank's thing. Eight years old, pretty late in the night. He would wait with a sign to congratulate Dirk. But game six went back to Miami. So the deciding game, big hoopla, is one in Miami. But just like every other night, Hank finishes watching the game. He's ecstatic. He makes his homemade sign. And then he goes to wait. He's got kind of a long time to wait, right? I mean, even if you're an NBA player, it still takes a little while to get home from Miami back to your home in Dallas. So Hank goes to his regular spot and he begins to wait. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. Eight years old, he's waiting until the wee hours of the morning. But eventually, Dirk's car comes driving down the street blinker on, pulls in the driveway, and there's Hank, right? There's Hank holding his sign. But rather than waving, saying hi, thanks, parking in the garage, Dirk pulls inside the gate. Hank thinks this is it. He stops the car. He gets out, walking over to Hank, holding the Larry O'Brien trophy. He gives him a high five. He lets him touch the trophy, and he just thanks him for his support all through the series. He thanks this eight-year-old boy and shows him the trophy, lets him touch it. Why do I tell you this? Well, in those games, in the, in the NBA Finals in 20, 2011, Hank did not win any of those games, right? He didn't play a single minute. His total minutes on the court was zero. He didn't even see the court, okay? Hank did maybe nothing to help the Mavs win the NBA championships. But arguably, the greatest basketball player in the world at that time stopped to show him dignity and love. Dirk's love for others extended even to the least of his tribe. I think this story for me, maybe for you, is so remarkable because it's so unusual, right? This doesn't happen. Compare it to the story of me as a 10-year-old on the streets of New York City, walk out of, I'm with my family, I'm not alone in New York. This is not a home alone situation. I walk out of a show uh, that we had been to as a family and on the sidewalk next to me, I notice Andrew Jones, uh, maybe at least in my mind, the greatest outfielder to play the game at that time. Young guy. He is standing there in the flesh next to me on the sidewalk. And it takes me probably 30 minutes, but I get up, it felt like 30 minutes. I get up the courage to go over there and just say, hey, Andrew Jones, you know, I'm a big Braves fan. I think you're the greatest ball player in the world. I said it. And he looks at me, kind of grins a little bit. He's like, kid, can't you see I'm on a date here? Would you scram? Would you beat it? And he gets into his limo with his date and drives away, okay? Says nothing. No Jesus love from Andrew Jones about his Braves status. He's got nothing for me. Why do I, what, what, what do we do with this? Why am I telling you this? I think it's this. We love to selectively apply Christ's command. Like we, we love the idea of loving one another, but we want to do it on our own terms. We want to selectively apply it. I love him or love her, 
but not those people over there. Okay, not the least of these. Not the kid who's bothering me while I'm on a date on the sidewalk in a different city. Not him. Even if he's in my tribe, not him. So are you loving the least among you? What does this look like for you, the church? What does this look like for you to love the least among you? Because I think that is what mercy looks like. That's John's point here. Loving all, even the least, with Jesus' love. Okay, let's move to number two, okay? Love well. Love well. Um, my family and I, we moved into the, the, the second house I ever lived in at age six uh, on a street called Carrygate. And I remember running into the house, ran immediately down to the basement. I grew up in Georgia, so you have basements there, even though I know that's kind of foreign territory for Texans. But everybody has a basement. It's the best place in the house if you're a teenager. Run down to the basement, and I notice in the middle of the room, there's this cool old wishing well made out of wood. I'm like, what? A wishing well? No way. Our house is magic or something. I don't know, but I love this. And then I, I kind of elbow my dad like, there's a wishing well in the middle of the house. And he sort of like tenses up a little bit. He's like, just go look at the well. Okay, go look at the well. And I look down at the well and realize the floor is right there. Okay, no well. The well is going nowhere. The only reason there's a well is somebody thought it was a good idea to cover up these ugly support beams in the middle of the room. And they put a wishing well over it. Okay, I don't know why they did that. The well was going nowhere. Okay, the well was fake. The well went nowhere. It was, it was, it was just a mock-up. Okay, what's the point? Well, the point is this. This kind of Jesus love that John is telling the church they must have for each other is anything but fake. Not only that, God is before he does. Jesus is this love. This is God's love for his people. It is the person of Jesus. Okay? There's no falsehood at the bottom of it. You can't reach down and touch the floor. <laughs> right? God is before he does, also meaning he is love to us before he commands us to love one another. He first is love, puts on love, becomes love. Then he commands us to do the same. So for you, listening, reading Second John here, where does your love for others come from? Where does it come from? I think we like comparison sometimes. Anybody like to compare? Um, we like to think that we're a church, maybe like this church to whom John's writing. Um, a one where the gospel is flourishing, where people are coming to faith, right, on account of Jesus' presence by faith there. And if we're like them, I think we are, then what's true of them must in some way be true of us. And John is trying to show them and show us something to make a particular point about how we love. He's pointing out how we wrongly love in a way, okay? This is what he says. He says, your love for others comes from your love for God. Your love for others comes from your love for God. And guess what? That won't work. (laughs) That won't work in case you didn't catch it. Because did you hear the source of love and what we said there? What's the source? If you're counting on your love of someone to power your love of someone else, what's the common source of that love? It's you, right? You are. You are the source. John's saying your love for those around you, it isn't coming from God, okay? It's coming from you. And that's why you're so shallow in it. That's why there's a false bottom on it. That's why it isn't there even. That's why only some of you are loving like this and some of you aren't. That's why maybe all of you are loving this way some of the time. That's why you aren't loving people. Remember, this is John who was in the upper room on this Thursday night, on Monday, Thursday, who received this command face-to-face in John 13. John realized that the simple fact that the community requires too much from you. You cannot do it. 
as great as you think you are, maybe as pitiful as you think you are, you cannot do it. He's saying, church, that's your greatest failure. You're missing the source of your love for others. To borrow from John's love of like water and aquatic images, seeing living water, water and blood, you're drawing from the wrong well. Church, you're drawing from the wrong well. Or maybe to put it better, you're, you're standing under the wrong waterfall. You're plunged in the wrong pool. I grew up swimming. This is a very questionable decision every time we did it, but we swam in the Chattahoochee River, uh, which is a particularly dirty river that runs through North Georgia. And uh, this one stretch, we'd either fish it or float down the river on a tube. One stretch, you can pull your tube off to the side and climb up a rock and jump off the rock. You're like 30 feet down into the water. But as you go up and walk behind the back of the rock to jump off, there are all these signs, and then people are like warning in a weird sort of Alice in Wonderland way. They're like, be careful, don't jump in the wrong place. Everyone warns you as you're going up the rock to make sure you hit the right spot on the water. Because if you jump a few feet to the right or a few feet to the left or don't get far enough out, you're dead meat, right? You're not going to make it. People are very serious about hitting the right spot on the water. It's terrific fun if you do, but be careful. If you don't, you won't make it. You won't make it. If you love out of your love for God, you quickly discover that you don't have enough. Like a well going nowhere, your well, your love well, is shallow. Our only option then is to make God in our image. To do a kind of uh, back and forth, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? You love partially by showing partiality, loving those who are like you. Loving those who are easy to get along with. Loving those who can give you something. Returning favor for favor. And this is not Christ's love. Because Christ's love, this love command is not aspirational. Right? John thirteen thirty four. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You don't obey this by approximating love. Okay, you obey by facsimile, by direct, by perfect imitation. That's the command. Love just as I have loved you. Peter follows that up by saying, in thir- verse, I mean, chapter 13, verse 37, Look, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. Of course. Of course I love you. And Jesus responds by saying, Peter, you don't even know how to do that. <laughs> what does he mean? Peter is so disengaged from the kind of love that Jesus is commanding, the new command he's giving, that he can't even understand it. It's a difficult command, okay? I'm I'm glad it is in some ways, because that is how highly Jesus prizes his church. But to think that you can do it on your own power, to look at how much you love God, and to love others out of that, is not enough. So let me ask you this. What is Jesus' example of this love that precedes the John passage of the command to love one another. The, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Okay, it's a foot washing. What does it accomplish? Why does Jesus do that, if you've read that portion? Why does he do that? He does it for purification. Purification of the feet and more. Right? The washing that accompanies this new command is a sign of the purification that Jesus accomplished this weekend. That's what John is getting at in his letter. He's saying loving one another, walking in the teaching of Christ, is Christ's purification of us. It's his love for us that purifies us. Don't you see that? Jesus purifies us. Christ is living water, and God's spirit that he provides puts a fount, a deep well, in you of living water. And just like Mary's ointment, flash that she broke and anointed Jesus, 
There's so much of it. It comes in so great a quantity that it's meant to go out way beyond you. Always has. And always will. When you see this, begin to love others out of God's love for you and not your love for God. Something distinct, something maybe almost felt changes. Your love scarcity, it suddenly becomes endlessly resourced love. Because love's arrival for you in the person of Christ, who is God's love for you, in you, actually makes it possible to love others like Jesus commands. One author that has meant a lot to me, Henry Nouwen, he says, Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. Self-rejection, however, is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. So which voice do you listen to? Which one is the same one telling you to love others? Because if it's telling you to love as Jesus loves, you'll never do it. He continues, Though the experience of being the beloved has never been completely absent from my life, I never claimed it as my, my core truth. I kept running around it in large or small circles, always looking for someone or something able to convince me of my belovedness. It was as if I kept refusing to hear the voice that speaks from the very depth of my being and says, You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. That voice has always been there, but it seems that I was much more eager to listen to other louder voices saying, prove that you're worth something. Do something relevant, spectacular, or powerful, and then you will earn the love that you so desire. Meanwhile, the soft, gentle voice that speaks in the silence and solitude of my heart remained unheard, or at least unconvincing. Look, Jesus commands this to those whom he, 1 Thessalonians tells us, Absolutely, he will certainly purify and love to the end. He does not put his command where he has not gone first, where he will not continue and complete his work. It's the voice of God that utters this command, God's same voice that calls you his beloved. If you hear it not as someone whom Jesus already loves, and if you don't endeavor to obey out of Jesus' love for you, then loving others is impossible. It is impossible. You'll crash and burn like me on the sidewalk of New York City, sitting through a two-hour musical that I didn't even want to go to in the first place. No pizza in sight, okay? It won't work for you. It won't work. Let's move then to our last point. Jesus, uh, just as I have loved you, okay? Just as I have loved you. Look, regain, regain the Zoom on the, on the evening, on Monday, Thursday. Jesus gives his love command, the one that John is reinforcing here, reminding us that Jesus commanded but around it, there is so much going on, and you've, you've gotten this if you've read this portion, the upper room. There is so much that isn't clear at this point in the story. Why is Jesus going to the cross? Right? What kind of leader, what kind of savior or king is Jesus? Why is Judas betraying him? And why is Jesus oddly okay with that? Why, uh, where does Jesus' confidence come from? The remaining question always, isn't there another way? Why is Jesus' mission so sad, so lonely, so quiet? But the new command, the love command that John is reinforcing here, it stands out as the, maybe the most clear thing in these muddy waters. And all that can't be understood, that's so hard to understand here. The love command stands out. It's brilliant. It's sparkling. It's one sentence. It's easy to remember. Don't forget who Jesus, to comfort you, don't forget who Jesus commanded to love. Okay? Don't forget who he spoke these words to. He said this to the disciples who minutes later would fall asleep when he told them to stay awake, right? 
he is saying this to people who in their immediate future is epic, epic failure. Okay? That is who Jesus addresses. Don't you know that he knows better than to think this command will go over perfectly? He knows who he's talking to. John knows who he's talking to. So understanding who his audience is, what, what does John warn? Well, look one more time at the text with me. Look at verse 9. Look what it says. Everyone who goes on ahead and who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Think again to the Last Supper. What could John be thinking of? What is he getting at? Why is to him abiding in Christ so crucial? Why is that the thing that he wants to say to this church in only 13 verses? Why is that at the end? Why is that his warning? Well, think about it. Who, who went on ahead? In the upper room, in Jesus' last hours, with the agony of the cross before him, he is saying things of great importance to him and to the people to whom he speaks, to his disciples. He doesn't waste any time. These are, these are crucial final moments. And who goes on ahead? Who goes on ahead? Judas goes on ahead, right? After Jesus, just before his command, but after he has spoken much of his discourse, Judas goes on ahead. He goes out to betray him. So Jesus, at this final hour, and John writing this letter, John hasn't gone on ahead, right? To contrast the two. What is different between Judas and John? As Judas walks out the door and Jesus commands his disciples to love, what's the difference between them? Well, John hasn't gone ahead. Just a few chapters later in John 19, there is John. He's standing there at the foot of the cross. He doesn't know all of what's happened. He doesn't know maybe even why Jesus is dying, even though he's heard it. He doesn't even know that he'll be raised again. The Lord will be raised. But he grasped this much. When everything else is muddy, blurry at the final hour, abide with Christ. Remain with him. Stay. Be. Don't go on ahead as the others have done. That's the one thing that John seems to get here. In all that he doesn't understand, what does he get? Remain with Christ. Remain. There is John at the foot of the cross, as Jesus says to him, love your mother. And to Mary, he says, love your son. John is getting something, okay? The disciple who is just laid in the bosom of Jesus, he's getting that to be here, even at the foot of the cross, even with the king in his moment of agony, of great agony, is better than to be anywhere else. It's better. Remain. Remain with me. There will be mission to it. There will be others to love. In fact, being with me is the moment where, is the place where John hears, love your mother. It's the place where he gets one more command, <laughs> love her. But that's, that's what love is. And more importantly, that's where love comes from. It comes from the love of Jesus on the cross. That kind of love, that glorious, glorious love. As Dan Allender puts it, love is courageously setting aside our personal agenda to move humbly into the world of others with their well-being in view, willing to risk further pain in our souls in order to be an aroma of life to others. What was Judas' mistake? What was this mistake? He denied the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh and went on to other things. John says, you deny Jesus, you have neither the Father nor the Son. John is painfully aware here that in his flesh, Jesus has loved us. Okay? He is so aware. Again, the one who laid with him at, at the table. 
He has felt the dub 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 of the Lord's heart. And then he has traveled with him to the cross. John is aware of Jesus' love for him in the flesh, of his love for us. That's why he writes this letter. That's why it's so important. That's why he has this one message. Okay? That's why that message is almost repeated through all of John's letters. It's so important. He has grasped the importance of it. It's that if Jesus' arrival in your life is about sharing the joy of the Father, then you will only know that joy insofar as you love all of Christ. As Christ's very existence is love. As Paul writes, for what person hates his own body, but loves and cherishes it. So as we close, look at where John ends. Look at verse 12, the very last part. What is it about a face-to-face visit that makes joy complete? What is it about seeing someone in the flesh that's necessary to have Christian joy? Um, I never met Andrew Jones face-to-face, and that moment when I did was exhilarating for about 10 seconds. (laughs) But the way he reacted crushed me. It crushed me. Why? Because I was a huge Atlanta Braves fan. So hearing, go away, kid, I don't have time for you, directly, face-to-face from the Braves was devastating. (laughs) Devastating. That is not the love of God. That's the opposite. John is writing that the love of God is Jesus who has arrived for you in the flesh to say to his beloved, you are mine and I love you. I'll close with just reminding you of this part of a story. Uh, Many of you have probably seen the movie You've Got Mail. Anyone seen You've Got Mail? Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. uh, Great, great rom-com. Great romantic comedy. Not afraid to admit that I love a good rom-com. At the end of You've Got Mail, the woman, female character played by Meg Ryan, she has... Um, been corresponding through uh, AOL. You know, you've got mail. You should be writing these emails back when it was cool to email. Uh, these, these little no- these chats and notes with this person. She doesn't know who he is. And the whole movie has been about her really meeting this other man, played by Tom Hanks' character, and her trying to figure out, okay, there's a war going on. Do I, do I really like the guy on the email, or do I really like Tom Hanks? And at the end of the movie, she's standing in, um, in the middle of this beautiful garden, and she's waiting on her email corresponder to show up. Okay, hoping he'll show up. She could stand him up. And she waits, she hears the jingling of a dog collar, and the dog comes running by, and then she hears the voice of her friend, Tom Hanks, who she's fallen in love with in the meantime. He is showing up as the person whom she has fallen in love with by correspondence. It's the same person. As he walks toward her, he kind of shrugs as if to say, yeah, it was me. <laughs> you know, yes, this is really happening. Walks up to her, and she just she doesn't have words to get out, really. She's sort of bumbling with her speech. She just says, I, I, I hoped it was you. And he takes his handkerchief, and he dries her tears. He says, don't cry, shop girl, which is her name on email. Don't cry. And she doesn't have anything to say other than to embrace the one who loves her. Because for her, love has arrived right in the flesh. That is what love does. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we offer this, this listening to your command again from the, the letter of John, uh, listening to it from the mouth of Jesus in your word as a very high calling. It is a difficult thing to love. As much as we hear that love is easy, it can be trite. Um, this kind of love, the love of Christ, is anything but. It is deep. It is for us. It is sacrificial. And it it penetrates us, Father. We pray that, um, that you would be good to us in helping us to see how we are to love one another. 
how it is that we can abide in your love, that we can rest on what you have done for us in loving us in Christ, and by virtue of that, love one another. Uh, We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.